Welcome. In Romans chapter 8, Paul quotes from our psalm for today. Let me read to you from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's describing the troubles that the first Christians had and the troubles that so many of God's people have had since then. And in doing so, he quotes from our psalm for today, which is Psalm 44. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. I present these talks going through the Psalms in the King James Bible, studying them verse by verse and word by word. So when we turn to Psalm 44, we first see the heading to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, Maskil. The sons of Korah were a family of Levites who assisted the priests. In particular, in particular, they assisted them by singing the Psalms in God's house, the temple, where they were under the direction of an official called the chief musician. The word maskil means a teaching psalm. This is a psalm which teaches us lessons. It teaches us lessons about how we should pray to God and how we should seek God in times of great trouble, times like those which Paul referred to in our opening reading from the book of Romans. But when you're in such troubles as Paul describes, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, how do you approach God? How do you approach God? when you're at the most difficult times of your life. Well, this psalm teaches us to approach God firstly by remembering God's love, by remembering his goodness to his people in the past. And if we take the first few verses of this psalm right up to verse 8, we could think that this was not a psalm in, of someone in trouble at all. It's declaring God's goodness to his people Israel. So let's take that first section. Verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. God, in the past you worked amongst our people Israel. You worked with great power to rescue them from their enemies. Our fathers, those who've gone before us in the nation, they've passed this message on. They, they were witnesses of the glorious things you did to rescue Israel's people. And we've become a sort of witnesses too, because although our fathers saw these things with their eyes, we have heard these things with our ears. We have heard their testimony pass through the history of our nation from father to son and father to son. 
we have heard what you've done and we believe and trust that you will do a similar thing in our day. But let's remember what God did hundreds of years before in Israel's history. Verse 2, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantedest them. How did Israel's people receive their land? Did they fight with great force and overwhelming power to gain that land? No, it was a work of God. He drove out the heathen. The heathen means the foreign nations, the Canaanites, their enemies. God, with his own hand, his own act, uh, drove them out, forced them out of the land, and he planted us them. He planted Israel's people. The word picture here is of a gardener who pulls out the weeds so that he can plant the plant that he's chosen in his land. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. Again, it's talking about the people who were the original inhabitants of Canaan, who God punished for their sins. When their sins became so severe as he'd spoken to Abraham long before, he acted against those people so as to give their land, the promised land, to Israel's people. Verse 3. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. So, If you think that Israel's people under Joshua won possession of the land of Israel by the way that they fought in battle, by the use of their swords, then you're not right. Because it declares clearly here, it wasn't by their own sword that they got the land in possession. And neither did the strength of their own arms save them or rescue them from their enemies. It was God who acted. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favour unto them. The countenance is a face. The light of thy countenance. It's like saying God smiled at them because God had a favour to them. In other words, God showed them his kindness. He chose to show his kindness to Israel's people and to give them the land that he had promised to them. And then in verse 4, we get maybe a little hint of the troubles that are going to, to fill the second part of this psalm. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. That word deliverances could be translated salvation. God, Jacob's people, Israel's people. Jacob was the original name of the man who became called Israel and whose children were Israel's people. Uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of course. God, you are my king. You are the king who, if you give your word of command, Jacob's people, Israel's people are rescued. God, We pray that you will give that word of command and once more rescue Israel's people. And when you do, verse 5, through thee we will push down our enemies. Through thy name 
we will tread them under that rise up against us. So the picture is, the word picture, is of someone pushing their enemy down to the ground and walking over them. Uh, maybe as you would do with snakes or some sort of wild animal like that, forcing them down to the ground and walking over them. And in that we see the total defeat of the enemies. But we're not doing that in our own strength. No, we're doing it through thee, through God, through thy name. The name speaks of the character of God. God, you're going to show your perfect character and the result will be the complete and utter defeat of our enemies as if they had to lie down on the ground and we could walk over them. Verse 6 is another declaration that it's not through military strength that we gain the victory, that God's people win. For I will not trust in my bow, bows and arrows, of course, neither shall my sword save me. Of course, these were the best weapons they had in those days, a sharp double-edged sword, bows and arrows which could kill a man even at a distance. The author of the psalm declares, I'm not going to trust in my bow. My sword won't save me. It's God who saves us. Verse 7, but thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put to shame them that hated us. Verse 8, in God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. God, we're going to declare how great you are. We're going to praise you. We're going to have our joy in you. We boast in you. God forbid, writes Paul, that I should glory, save in the cross of Christ, to glory, to boast, to have joy in something. Our joy is in God. Our joy is in praising his name, praising God for his wonderful character. And that will always be our joy, always be our rejoicing, always be our praise. And then the little word seller. We're not sure of the meaning. It seems to be a pause in the psalm. And this is quite a point at which to pause, because if the psalm had finished here, we would take this as a joyful psalm, a happy psalm. We wouldn't realise the great troubles that it will soon describe. So let's pause for a moment with the word Selah. And now we continue in verse 9 with a shock for us. Because speaking to God, the author of this psalm declares, but thou hast cast us, sorry, but thou hast cast off and put us to shame and goest not forth with our armies. Didn't we declare in verse six that we wouldn't trust in our bows or in our swords? Didn't we declare that in verse five, it's through God that we would push down our enemies through his name. We would tread them under that rise up against us. But now a disaster. God goest not forth with our armies. God is not supporting our armies when they go into battle. Well, then what is going to happen to the armies of Israel? Verse 10. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy. And they which hate us spoil for themselves. 
God, our enemies attack and our armies turn back. They try to run away from the enemy. And so the enemy attacks them behind and uh, they've got nothing to defend themselves. They are in weakness. They are being slaughtered. They which hate us spoil for themselves. To spoil. That means to take plunder. When an enemy attacked and defeated the army that it was against, it would spoil that army. It would steal every valuable thing they could find on the dead and the dying soldiers or in their cities. They would take these things for themselves. The author of this psalm is saying, God, our army has turned back in the war. The enemy has attacked and has attacked and stolen everything that is valuable in our land. Verse 11. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. God, we're like sheep. We are your sheep, your precious sheep. We, we are like the flock that you look after by your own hand. But what happens when those sheep are taken and they're handed over to the butcher to be killed? Or what seems to have actually happened to Israel's army in this situation? They'd been scattered among the heathen. The same nations which once God had defeated and saved them from, they've now been taken away as hostages and as prisoners. And they've gone away from the land where God gathered them, they've scattered into many different lands and many different places so that they no longer even look like a nation. But who is this? The nation of God, the people of God. Verse 12. Thou sellest thy people for naught and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Maybe all these troubles that God's people are suffering would be tolerable if God had some way benefited from the troubles. If somehow uh, God had gained by these troubles. But no, there's no gain for God from all this tribulation and distress and trouble that God's people are in. God is gaining nothing from it. It's like, like a farmer who takes his precious sheep and just just gives them away to the butcher to be slaughtered and killed and gains nothing whatever from it. And so in this psalm we see God's people really, really suffering. And this, of course, is the situation which Paul was describing the first Christians in, in Romans chapter 8. But yet he can begin that passage, Romans 8.35, with who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he concludes the chapter with these words. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in all these troubles, says Paul, 
God's love for his people is still there. None of these troubles, however great, however terrible, can separate them from God's love for them. And we see this expressed in the psalm too. Because when we look at these verses, they all begin, Thou, meaning God. Thou did this. You did this, God. You did this. It's not saying God is responsible for these evil deeds. It's saying we are God's people still. Verse 12, Thou sellest thy people for naught. God, we are still your people. Even through all these troubles that you permit us to suffer, even though our troubles are as terrible as the troubles that you permitted Job to suffer, even though they're ten times worse, yet we are still your people. But what shame, what suffering, what trouble is upon us? Verse 13 of Psalm 44 continues to describe these troubles. Thou makest us as a reproach to our neighbours, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. A reproach, a scorn, a derision. The people who are laughed at and mocked and insulted. Verse 14, thou makest us a byword among the heathen. A byword, a proverb, if you like, a joke. You've made us like a joke to these foreigners who are treating us so cruelly. A shaking of the head among the people. They shake their heads at us. They nod their heads as if we're worth nothing and we have no value whatsoever. Verse 15. My confusion is continually before me and the shame of my face hath covered me. Confusion there is the old meaning of the word confusion. It, it means about the same as shame. It means I feel ashamed. I feel so distressed at the defeat of all my hopes and my plans. Verse seven, uh, verse 16, sorry. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and the avenger. Yes, this enemy who is mocking and reproaching and insulting and blaspheming. That could mean to insult a person, but all the other places where that word occurs in the Old Testament, it means to speak words against God. Maybe this enemy has gone even further than to insult God's people. Maybe he's insulting God himself. And what a shock this is to these people who are faithful to God, that even God should along with them be insulted. God is gaining nothing in the midst of these great troubles. God is even being insulted himself. And that hurts the author of this psalm. Because as we're about to discover, all these troubles have not happened because the author of this psalm has rebelled against God. It's not a punishment that Israel's people, God's people, are suffering in this situation. No, God's people have been faithful to God in this psalm. And yet these troubles have happened. Verse 17 now. All this has come upon us. Yet have we not forgotten thee? 
neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Okay, all these troubles have happened, even though we've not forgotten the true God. We've remained faithful to him. We've continued to obey him. Neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. The covenant means promises that established a relationship between Israel's people and God. And the author of this psalm says, you haven't permitted these troubles because we've rebelled against your covenant. No, we haven't dealt falsely in your covenant. We've obeyed your covenant. Verse 18, our heart is not turned back. Neither have our steps declined from the way. Inside us, deep inside us, in our hearts, we're still loyal to God. And our lives, the way we've lived, we've lived in God's way. We haven't declined or turned away from God's way. We're living for God. Verse 19. Though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death. So what's it saying here? Thou hast sore broken us. That could be from the Hebrew, thou hast crushed us. You've crushed us in the place of dragons. Dragons, of course, was the name for a mythical animal, uh, an animal that didn't actually exist, which people told stories about at the time of the King James Bible. But the Hebrew word is describing an actual animal. It could be one of various sorts. Um, uh, the word translated dragons here is translated serpents in the book of Exodus when it's describing the snakes which came uh, from Moses' rod. And so it could be saying here that we are crushed in the place where the snakes swarming around us and all these snakes moving around us. Or it could be another word picture because sometimes that word refers to great sea animals like whales. So the author could be saying, we're crushed at the bottom of the sea, it's like. We are like people who've descended, he's saying, into the grave. And whether the picture is of snakes or whether it's of great sea animals, the second part, thou hast covered us with the shadow of death. In other words, it's like we're lying in our graves. It's like we're already dead. That's how desperate our troubles feel. But once more, the author of the psalm protests. Once more, he forcibly declares that he and Israel's people, God's people, in this situation, were loyal to God. Verse 20. If we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God, there's nothing hidden from you. You know even our thoughts, even our deepest thoughts, which are in our heart. You know all these things. Therefore, God, you know that we have remembered the name of our God. We have remembered God's perfect character. And you know, too, 
that we haven't stretched out our hands to a strange God. The word strange there means foreign. The gods of the nations, the false gods that people served in other nations, we haven't stretched out our hands to them. Stretching out of the hands was uh, the ancient posture in prayer. And so as if you're reaching up to heaven with your hands and he declares, we haven't prayed to a strange God, to a false God. God knows this. He knows our secrets. He knows the truth of this matter. And the truth of this matter is, verse 22, we are suffering for God's sake. These are the words that Paul copies into Romans chapter 8 and verse 36. Verse 22 of Psalm 44 says, Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. God, we're suffering all these things and it's because we've been loyal to you. We're suffering these things when we have served you faithfully. God, you see our suffering. We are suffering as your servants. We are still your sheep. Your, your precious ones, your flock, even though we're appointed for slaughter, even though we're appointed for death. This was the experience of the first Christian martyrs, of so many of God's people in subsequent ages, and indeed of so many of the prophets and the loyal servants of God before that. They suffered and they died, and they remained faithful to God because they knew that God was on their side. Even though their troubles became so extreme, even though their suffering was so severe, they know, knew that they were suffering for God's sake. If they'd have been suffering for their own evil deeds, for the wrong actions that they'd done, for the crimes that they were guilty of and for offending and blaspheming against God, then they'd have deserved that suffering. And great and terrible though that suffering was, it would have been their punishment. But when they were faithful to God, when they lived for God and they still suffered, then they were suffering for the honour of God and for the honour of his name so that they could stand firm for God and so that they could trust God in that situation. And they knew in all that suffering, as Paul declares in Romans, that none of this was able to separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. They knew that God still loved them, that God loved them and cared about them and had a precious place for them even though they were suffering so much. Yet they knew that this suffering could not, it must not, it should not continue forever. That there must be a time when Messiah will rule and all these sufferings of God's people will end. And so God's people pray. And they pray that God will act now in their situation and will rescue them even in this situation. And they pray to God as if he's sleeping. God never sleeps. God doesn't slumber or sleep, it says in another of the Psalms. Yet so often to God's people, 
It feels as if God is sleeping because he's chosen not to act for the moment. He's waiting for God's people to pray. And so they pray in verse 23. They call upon God, awake. Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. God, is this the time? Is this a time for you to rescue us? Is this a time for us to be set free? Oh, there were people who were cast out in verse 2. People who rebelled, who opposed God, who did lived wicked lives and opposed God's people. They had to be cast off, but not God's people, not God's loyal people. And so they prayed to God, awake, O God, cast us not off forever. The time of suffering surely has come to an end. Verse 24, wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and oppression and our oppression? It's not saying that God really hides his face from his people. It's not saying he, he forgets their troubles. No, God knows how they are suffering. But it seems like that. It seems so much like that to God's people in their deepest troubles, in their great distress. 4 verse 25. Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body cleaveth unto the earth. Our belly, sorry, cleaveth unto the earth. The word picture here is of someone lying face down in the dust. So his belly, his stomach is sticking against the ground, stuck firm, cleaveth. And his life has been lowered to the ground, his inner life. God, we're in a hopeless situation. Our soul is down by the dust. Our belly cleaveth to the earth. How can we ever be rescued from this situation? We have no power, no strength in ourselves against our enemies. We can do nothing. So we turn, O oh God, to you. We call upon you to act and to act in power in this situation. Verse 26, arise for help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. God, remember your mercy your loving kindness to your people. Are you not the God of mercy? The God who delights to show kindness to his people? We call on you. Are you not our redeemer, our rescuer, the one who rescues us and saves us from all our troubles? Arise God, act and rescue us in this situation. Arise for help. God, you are our helper. In you we put our trust. We have no hope for ourselves. We cannot win the victory ourselves. We are totally defeated. But you are not God. No enemy can ever defeat you. No enemy can ever prevent your plans for your people. And though we suffer so much, and though we suffer for your sake, we are confident in you, our God, that you will arise, that you will act, that you will save us even from this situation. Please write to me. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. 
be lovely to hear from you. My email address again, 333kjv at gmail.com. And now here is the whole of Psalm 44. To the chief musician, for the sons of Korah, Maskil. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantedest them, how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favour unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies, through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hate us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever. Selah. But thou hast cast off and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbours, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me for the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, Neither have our steps declined from thy way, though thou hast so broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted 
as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake.